Welcome to another episode of Dinner at Our Place. I'm Steve Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely and talented wife, and even more lovelier and more talented than ever, as it is Mother's Day, Jesse. Jesse, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. How was your Mother's Day? It was really great, thanks to you. And, and what what made it so great? Um, well, I feel like this is the first Mother's Day that I've really like identified as a mom. Last year was like two months after Cohen was born, and it was just a weird, blurry time. But so I feel like this is the first real Mother's Day for me. Um, it was great. You made breakfast. Got me beautiful flowers. We went on a walk. We ate barbecue for lunch here at the house and it's been a good day. We're going to do some fun things this week. I mean, what was the what was the best part and I I'm fishing for a specific answer. The best thing that you got today. Um oh my goodness, what am I supposed to say right now? Oh, the Twix that I'm eating right now. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing." <laughs> um, the two giant king size Twix bars that you got me that I have half an open sitting one sitting right here, and I'm going to try not to eat it during the podcast and crinkle and no noises. crinkling the wrappers. But this during is going to take all of my self discipline to not eat that it's while we're about, recording. It's all about self control, dear. It's an exercise in self control. Oh, I, I have no self control when it comes to a Twix bar. So it's been a couple weeks since the last podcast. We we promised that we were going to get. <laughs> Back on the horse, and then, and then we, uh, fell off. we got like halfway on the horse, and then <laughs> fell over the other side. And we we're trying to mount it. I think the problem is, is that we were trying to record. We were trying to record before on Monday nights, and I think Mondays are a crazy work day for you. Well, every day is a crazy work day for you. Monday nights are just busy nights, and so it made things hard. So we're gonna get back to the Sunday night thing. Hope have a new podcast out every Monday after we record Sunday night. So we're back at it. Back at it's it. It's really fun to do this. I hope people enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. Yes. And the one reason why we did not record one last week is, A, Mondays are always busy, but also I went out of town. so it yeah, was, You left Tuesday morning early. I left Tuesday morning to go out of town, so Monday was even more busy uh, than usual. Um, tell us about your, your I call them vacations, even though you're traveling for work because they're you're away trips. from their vacations. Tell us about your vacation, Steve. <laughs> Uh, I went to I went to New York City, uh, which is I mean, anytime you go to New York City, I love I love New York. Uh, so it's it's always a vacation whenever you go to New York. I guess that's a fair uh, a fair characterization, even if you do work most of the time. Tell us what you did, but not like the boring work parts. Well, there's a lot of boring work parts. Uh, it was a lot of sitting in conference rooms, although thankfully the conference rooms were on like the 22nd floor of a really tall building right next to the Empire State Building. And so I get with big windows and so I just sat there and Hashtag out, vacation. I just sat there and looked out the windows at really cool buildings in midtown Manhattan most of the time, uh, which was great. Uh, but what else did you do? Uh, what else did I do? Well, I guess the big thing that I did, I was there for two nights, um, but I didn't get in until really late the first night. But the second night that I was there, I splurged, uh, did a little treat yourself, and went and saw, uh, found myself a ticket to see Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. But it wasn't even that much of a splurge. Like, you got your ticket for Onward 200, which is a deal. I Essentially, before like, I Like, I mean, paid, we're not talking Hamilton prices. Before I paid the exorbitant uh, secondhand ticket broker markup on the fees... I essentially got the ticket for face, which was one fifty. Yeah, um, which is a good pr- a good price for the hottest ticket on Broadway, not called Hamilton right now. Uh, Hamilton's still very hot, even you know a year and a half later. 
But went and saw Dear Evan Hansen. It was a monumental, life-changing experience. We've talked about it, I think, twice on the podcast. If you different episodes now. If you have not go, listened to the soundtrack, just go listen to it. You will fall in love, and then find the bootleg version online of the of the musical and watch We're it. Being such bad Broadway such fans bad. by endorsing bootlegs. No, 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 because you we saw the bootleg and then you went and paid the ticket, and I'm gonna pay the ticket. So, like it's not like it's taking us away from seeing it. It's gonna make you want to see it more. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I was actually yeah. listening to a podcast with the one of the producer of the musical and the writer of the book uh, with Kara Kara Swisher was who is a tech writer, was interviewing them. And she was really pushing them on, are you going to record the show and like put it online and like have videos of the show? And they kept saying, no, no, no. That's what Broadway folks have traditionally done. They've eschewed video um, because they say, you know, it's all about being in the theater and it's a live experience. And the business model is built to put butts in the seats, which is realistically why they're answering that question the way they are, because it's an economic thing. Uh, but I think, I actually think that more musicals should steer into posting more of their content as video online, because it's not like if I watch a Kanye West concert clip online that I'm not going to want to go see him when it comes to my town. Right. Like, totally. if I'm a big enough fan and I want to see him and You're I'm connecting with the... I'm probably more likely to want to see him if I watch the clip before and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. I have to see that in person. Yeah, exactly. Which I, so I think that Broadway is kind of being backwards in how they're going about like restricting how much hey, of their stuff gets Let's not dog on Broadway. I love Broadway. But I don't tell us dog. how you feel about Broadway. Broadway is an incredibly inspiring place to me. I'm general, genuinely inspired, generally inspired by really ta- amazingly talented people doing really incredible things, especially when they're very creative. And I remain convinced, particularly after seeing Dear Evan Hansen, that Broadway actors are the most talented human beings on the planet Earth, uh, particularly one Broadway actor uh, named Ben Platt, Mr. Ben Platt, who I don't know who loves him more, me or you. Definitely I think, me. I think it might be you and that's okay. Cause I feel like, so you went to New York last Tuesday, Wednesday, you got back Thursday or you were there Wednesday. I went on Tuesday I night and I got back Thursday. Thursday is something like that. Um, I don't think you have stopped thinking about Dear Evan Hansen. Like I don't normally know what you think about, which it's, that's normal, right? Except for I can tell you've been thinking about Dear Evan Hansen. Since you got back, I literally don't think you've thought about anything else. It, so here's the thing. I had a very strong connection to Hamilton last year. I still haven't seen it in person, so maybe I maybe this is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But I had very strong feelings about Hamilton, like to the point that I had like personal, like, I think you and I were discussing it sitting in a restaurant and I, <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, point. but you did. I was like 38 weeks pregnant. We went out to Good Stuff to get burgers one night at like 10 p.m. for dinner. And I'm pretty sure the evening ended with you in tears. And I didn't know if it was because you were so tired or if your burger was, probably was so probably a good. lot of things. Um, but you had a real connection to Hamilton. Yeah. And I liked, I mean, that's... And I think it was to the story of Alexander Hamilton and what he represented as... Uh, this person who rode his way, wrote his way literally out of poverty into greatness, and I'm a writer, and so that's very inspiring to me. Um, but so How's I your had connection to what's I your had, so I have this very deep connection to Hamilton. I dare say that Dear Evan Hansen has surpassed Hamilton as my favorite musical, and it's not that I 
think that it's necessarily quote unquote better, although better is a subjective term inherently, like but like it it's is, not gonna get as many Tonys. Uh no, it won't. It was nominated so for nine. If but you're basically it will it based win all on, the big ones, but it's yeah. not gonna be it won't be it's like Hamilton Light in that Hamilton is like a generation defining yeah. piece. Like yeah. you get a Hamilton like level phenomenon on Broadway like every twenty years. Mm-hmm. But if Dear Evan Hansen had come out two years ago before Hamilton came out, like the level of like excitement and like buzz that it has right now and it had it then before Hamilton existed, it would be like a legitimate like huge deal in its own right. But yeah. the fact that it's coming in the wake of Hamilton, which is like a generationally wait, insane wait. thing. I'm going to make a sports metaphor right now. What? It's like the Utah Jazz being good during the Bulls being good. Exactly. That's great, <sighs> dear. Um, Score. Although Dear Evan Hansen is way better than the Utah Jazz. Oh, for sure. Um, no, 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 for sure. But I'm just, you know. But it's it's a so just to like pull back from all this. Saw the show. The show is incredible. It is an emotionally resonant piece of theater, unlike anything I've ever seen. And I do love a good musical. It is a great musical. The performances are amazing. If you have not listened to the original the the cast album yet. Go to Apple Music or Spotify or download it on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to music. Listen to the cast album. It is great. And then go online and stalk Ben Platt and all the other cast members and fall in love with them. And then if you are anywhere near New York between now and November when the original con, uh, con, original cast contracts are up, go, go, go. Don't walk. Run to see this show. It is Steve worth. Will go with you. Again. It, I will go with you again for the fourth or fifth time. Uh, it is worth every single penny, no matter what you pay. Well, maybe not no matter what you pay, but it's not like this is Hamilton price tickets at this point. But it's yeah. it's it's not it's not like you're getting it at the TKTS box or whatever for like thirty bucks. <laughs> um, but it but is. It's under two, I mean, under two hundred, even under three hundred, I think it's reasonable for a Broadway ticket. Yeah, no, it's great. It is a great show. You will not be disappointed. You will. You will laugh. You will cry. You will cry some more. Um, but ultimately, feel uplifted. So that makes me feel really good about my like boring week I had last. Yeah, week. what did you do last week? <laughs> well, I didn't do what you did. Now I'm just feeling like I. Like, what did I even do compared to go see Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen? Well, we're making plans for you to do that. Yeah, That's I want to go see it. Um, I feel like I've made big progress on our back patio. We're finally getting around to, after living in this house for almost two years, finally making progress and um, finishing What type our, of progress did you make? Uh, dining, uh, got a patio table, we got a grill, we got, we're going to do flower boxes. Like, we've never paid attention to the outside of our house until now. So we're going to furnish our back patio, and then we're redoing the sod and getting a new fence in the front of our house, which I got all that set up. Very exciting. Um, almost as exciting as Dear Evan Hansen. Almost. Almost. It's up there. Um, I'm feeling very self-conscious right now about how great I felt about my week last week <laughs> right now. And then um, finally our bedroom. I'm finally getting around to furnishing our bedroom. and. Uh, but it wasn't it good. furnished at one point before? Um, it was furnished, and then we got freaking bed bugs. Thanks to your work vacation to we Seattle. We don't know that. It was totally your work vacation to Seattle. Anyway, we got bed bugs and then we had to get rid of those. And then I just never got around to doing it because I'm really bad at making decisions. But I, this weekend I decided I'm making decisions. I'm making it happen. Bed bugs are the worst. Bed bugs are the worst. If you ever get bed bugs or know that anyone that gets know anyone that gets bed bugs, tell them to call us. Because it would. Took, we don't want to talk about bed bugs on our podcast. But 
it took we spent a lot of time getting rid of the bed bugs and Maybe now we, should we do a bed bug episode one time now we know what works yeah we did not know at first that's so it would have been a lot shorter process that's if we what known i'm saying what we if know people now. know anyone that gets bed bugs tell them to call us first don't just go online and read about them call no us. online is lying to you they're lying um but it's been a fun time in the in our house i feel like between you doing the whole new york thing and me finally like finishing our house you know what else it's been these last couple weeks or uh, last week uh, how could i forget what is it? Tell the people. It's our anniversary, our DC anniversary. Our DC anniversary, six years ago. Six years Last ago. Last week, right? Yeah, we left on the 1st, and we got here on the 5th, and then we moved into our apartment on the 7th. Yeah. So just past a six-year anniversary living in DC, and it's always a fun... Honestly, it's such a reminiscent time for me. What do you remember okay. about that whole About the whole thing? thing? Well, I remember... It's funny when you're actually living living it out, you... Whenever you're making big life choices or doing anything that's, like, going to be life-changing, you wonder how you'll look at it down the road, right? Yeah. You, like, what am I going to think in 10 years? Um, but I remember one night you coming home from work and being, like... Me coming home from work and you being at home. This is when we are living in Provo. We had been married maybe, like, a year and a half at this point. And you're like, I'm going to tell you something. Don't freak out. I think I know what we're, we should do after I graduate. And I was like, okay, what are you going to say? Like, you could have said anything. And you're like, I think we're going to move to D.C. And you, like, showed me this master's program at GW you wanted to go to, which was really just an excuse to get out here. And you're like, I think I, I want to work in politics. Like, I don't know where else we would live to do this. Like, we're going to move. Like, we should move to D.C. And I was just like, yeah. It was probably, like, Which midnight. is not your natural inclination. It was probably, like, midnight, and I was exhausted. And I was, I was like, yeah, we totally should. Which is not my personality at all in any way. I normally have 9 million questions before I agree to anything. But I was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. It just felt good. And so we moved out here. We left. It's actually really funny. And it, it's like going to be the story we tell our kids forever, right? Like we graduated. We went and stayed with my parents for a few weeks. And then we left. We like packed up our car. We put all of our stuff in a pod. Was it even a few weeks? I think it was a few days. We graduated like April But I think we had our 6th. apartment through the end of the month. Yeah, yeah, then that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we drove, we just got in the car and drove to DC. And you know what happened we, before we left for DC, though? The night before we left. Uh, Osama bin Laden was captured and killed because yeah. I was sitting on the toilet <laughs> checking you my phone. You never forget where you were you when you never things forget. Happened. I was sitting on the toilet checking my phone, read, like scrolling through. At Twitter, your parents' house, yeah. at Facebook, something, and you, and you, and Ben, who's been on the pod, and Jake, and like Lindsay and Preston, and all of our friends from BYU days, were, we're all having hanging one out. last hurrah. You guys were all hanging out in the in the in the in the um, toilet in the bathroom. Not with in Jessie the bathroom. While she was no, on the you toilet. guys were sitting around the dining room table, and I like opened the door and I yelled out. I was like, "You guys, Osama bin Laden's been killed." Because you saw it on Twitter. Because I saw it on Twitter, and Ben Wagner. The first thing he said was. I don't believe it happened. He like checked his phone. He's like, I don't believe it happened. It's not trending on Twitter yet. And then it would trend on Twitter trend within like yeah. 30 seconds. And then also Kate and William got uh-huh. married that weekend. Yeah. So anyway, so we, we, we packed up, we packed our stuff in a pod. We got in the car and we just drove, we just left. Like all we had in DC was like a 12 month lease on an apartment that we had not seen. And I think we had like twelve thousand dollars in savings. No jobs. No jobs. We had like twelve thousand dollars to our name, and we figured that could get us at least a little bit. <laughs> little did we know that wouldn't get us quite as far as we thought, we thought it would. But like with like twelve thousand bucks, which I think is pretty good for being pretty college good. graduates. Pretty good, yeah. And we had Way a lease, good. and we had our stuff in our car. 
Yeah. And nothing else. And we and had no idea where we were going. You hadn't even been I, accepted to the program at GW yet. No, I did. I had been accepted. You got your... No, you, I had been accepted. Oh, you had? I thought yeah. you got your acceptance letter after we moved here. No, I had been accepted. Oh. But I, I had not been to D.C. since like the seventh grade on a class field trip. And you had been in college at one point. Yeah, but. I came actually in like 2000 and... Oh, ten. Yeah, it was when I was on my seven mission. or eight, and I remember being like, "This is a cool city. I could live here." I don't know why I thought that because I never thought I would. But anyway, so we we left. How was how was the drive, Steve? It was very emotional for certain people. It was very emotional for me. I remember Jesse on her phone. With Google their like Maps. Google Maps open, like watching the blue dot get farther and farther away from Utah. Because this is the first time Jesse had ever left, like moved outside of Utah. Like lived outside of Utah. And she's just watching it getting further and further away. And crying. And just crying and crying and crying. And we stopped in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which For- anywhere in Wyoming is pretty terrible. Uh, but Cheyenne is, is, is the capital. And so this is like one of the nicer cities in Wyoming, in southern Wyoming. There's beautiful areas up north, obviously. Southern Wyoming is not a great place, in my opinion. That was sad and depressing. But we stopped in Cheyenne, and Jessie has a thing with small towns. Um, they make her feel dirty. I think she said that on the I podcast before. I can't believe before. you just said that. You've said it on the I podcast. I don't think I've ever said that on the podcast. Well, now they now they know. Um, you told me to never say that. Yeah, well, it's... Just, no, I just... You weren't I just, built... You're not a small town girl. I just... Yeah, I just, I just feel very alone. And you I, know how I feel about feeling alone. I just remember stopping in Cheyenne and eating some really, really subpar pizza... And, and being so you sad. being so sad. You were sad too. I think everyone was sad. I think sad. you were sad because it was sad. And then we drove through Lincoln. It was sad. We st- spent the night in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and you were paranoid and our TV was going to get stolen out of our car. That was We very were sleeping bad. in an econo lodge, like in the shadow of the gigantic football stadium. And Jesse's like crying herself to sleep. I think sleep. we both cried ourselves to sleep that night, honestly, if I remember correctly. I don't remember. I think it we was, were both. That was very, an emotional day. It was scary. It was just, it was scary. Like it was a big, it was a big, big, big scary thing to be doing when you're 22 years old yeah and we were we were just like hauling across the country and if i had to do it over again that's one thing i would do over again is take a little bit more actually stop when we drove through st louis yeah take like a little bit more time driving across the country because like when am i going to do that again realistically um and like see some stuff that i hadn't seen we were just like hauling like we drove through st louis and we were like Oh look, there's that arch thing, and just kept going. We did not stop. Well, I think it was we were we were nervous because it's not like we had a job on the other end, so we like wanted to get out here, get our apartment, get our stuff settled, and like start looking for jobs. Right? Like we were right. just anxious. We were super paranoid about super not having paranoid. jobs, which fair enough. Um, but yeah, I remember we got out here, and the first night I can't believe I'm saying this. The first night we went to the grocery store, like around the corner from our house, which, I, which is actually not far from where we live now, and I still go to this grocery store. But we went to the Giant to get some groceries, and little did I know that is a more expensive grocery store than some in the area. But we went in there and we went to get some like basic groceries, and like I'm looking at the prices on everything, and I just start crying. Literally, I'm like bawling in the grocery store to the point of like we're checking out. And I had to leave and go get in the car, and I just cried because we were spending like eighty dollars on groceries, and like we weren't getting much. And like I remember, I just like had to go to the car, and I just sat in the car and I cried. And then Steve came out. I'm not gonna cry thinking about this. And then Steve came out of the giant and like got in the car. The, the giant was the grocery store, 
he like got in the grocery, got in the car and I was like, how much did you just spend? And you were like, I spent $80 and I just cried. And I was like, we're never going to be able to afford the grocery shop here. We're never going to be able to afford to live here. We're never going to eat. We're never going to do anything. We're never going to live any. Like I was. It was very emotional. It was, I'm not going to cry. Just think about it. It was very emotional and I, it didn't get better right away. Like, a few days after that, we were driving from the apartment to Target, and we just, like, put it in Google Maps, right? Took the shortest route, and we drove through, like, not the nicest neighborhood, and it's not, it's not, not nice. It's a very, like, how would you explain it? Uh, it's... Like, a very, like, a, a neighborhood full of culture and full of, like... It's just not the neighborhood that I was used to that I grew up around. Right. It's a. It's a. It, to be frank, it's a. Lati- it's a Latino neighborhood with like Spanish signs and lots of Latino shops, and that's not exactly a lot of those in Salt Lake City, Utah. You weren't used to. And that. we drove through like the the area between our apartment and Target, and I just cried. I was like, we. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I was like, we live in the ghetto, Steve. Where do we live? This isn't clean. It's not safe. What are we doing here? I want to move back to Utah. I was a mess for days. I can't believe you put up with me. I was a mess. And, and then the, what's the, the, what's the, the, the best part of the ending of that story is literally four years later, we buy a house, a townhouse in that neighborhood. That's where we, we live We literally, now. like we the literally area that Jesse was driving through crying. I and now drive through like five times a day. <laughs> that's where Jesse literally lives now. So Gentrification, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> we are the bad gentrifiers. We are. The, somebody's going to do it. Might as well be me. Oh, um, so... Somebody else is going to buy it. Anyway, um, so it was an emotional few weeks for me. Moving out here was, like, those stories, those things I will never forget. And we've come a long way. And then there was the whole, beyond, like, just the adjusting, there was the yeah, whole, Yeah, what was like, it like for you? Like, after I was an emotion, I was an emotional wreck for a while. But then we got out here, and, like, well, you were, like, like... It was pressure, because I was the one who, like, dragged us out here to, like, follow my political aspiration or whatever, and uh, so I had to, like, deliver. And so I, I knew that I had, like, this school thing that I was going to do starting in the fall at night. And so that was, like, at the, that was always, like, the bag of, oh, at least I'm here for school. And if we, like, need to, if we, like, blow through all our savings and need to, like, take out, like, student loans, we could do that. But obviously I wanted to get a job and we needed money to It would have been, like, a walk of shame back to you. Yeah. And so I had, like, the pressure, like, you had to deliver. And uh, it just so happened that luckily uh, BYU, which is our alma mater, uh, has this yearly annual like gathering where they bring students out from Utah and all the alumni in the area come out and they have like this two day event. Like um, a networking there's like event. a networking thing one night, and then there's some site visits that the students go and like visit alumni at their places of business and like learn or whatever like the next day. And so this al- this alumni networking event just happened to be like the week after we moved here. Um, so I show up to this. thing. You were like hardcore though. That like first few weeks, you were like you well, were. I, tra- I know, I was but hustling. You were hustling. Like I've never seen you hustle quite like that. I I literally. I would not describe Steve Pierce as a hustler, but no. you were hustling. I like literally went up to the like Senate office buildings and like walked around and like knocked on random senators like offices and like talked to their little interns and like handed out my resume. And the thing that I found out 
later and I was like applying for all these like low like entry level like lowest of the low like Capitol Hill jobs and I found out like later after talking to somebody who worked in an office that I had applied to like I was applying for jobs that I was somewhat overqualified for based on what I'd done like on the campaign trail before and they're like oh yeah we were never going to hire you because you had like more experience than the person who was supposed to be supervising you in that job and they were they were not so into that mm-hmm. <laughs> oh well, that's Funny. interesting but i was literally we were like clueless man i we was were literally clueless. like pounding the pit because like washington is a town built on relationships and you can't get jobs or you can't get anything unless you know people so and, what did you do the fact that you didn't know anyone and i anyone. moved here without knowing anybody but you didn't know how much it was based on the relationships. Like, you'd always heard it, but I feel like you always hear it's all about who you know, it's all about who you right. know. But, Washington, like, it's literally... Washington is very much that, like, on steroids. So what'd you do? This whole So I didn't BYU know anybody. So event. what we did, we had this BYU networking event, and uh, I knew one person who was uh, my friend Scotty Riding, who now runs Y2 Analytics in, in Salt Lake City, great Republican pollster, if anybody, uh, if there's any Republicans listen to this podcast. I doubt it. I doubt you'll like the rest of this podcast after... <laughs> And we get to the second segment. Uh, but anyway, uh, I knew him. I'd met him at church. And I had I'd stood up in church the first Sunday we were here and, like, done the, like, shameless, like, I'm Steve and I want to work in democratic politics, which is a hilarious phrase to utter in a Mormon church to begin with. And if anybody has any leads, I need a job. Um, and so I show up. And everybody's this, like, have you talked to Harry Reid? Yeah, have you talked to Harry <laughs> Reid? Um, but uh, so I show up at this BYU networking event. Scotty, who was in our, went to, we went to church with and I had met just briefly, uh, was there and he knew that I was looking for a job. And so I was mostly walking around. I was talking to people and meeting people. But, uh, you know, it's, it's BYU. It's a lot of Mormons and Mormons are overwhelmingly Republicans. So there's a lot of Republicans. I didn't think I'd met another single Democrat. And near the end of the event, I kind of felt like I'd been striking out. And, like, the event was pretty much wrapping up, and Scotty comes over to me, and he says, hey, you know, that woman over there who's leaving, and I could see her, like, across, it was in the, this was in the Capitol Visitor Center, so it was across, like, a long, like, immaculate, like, foyer or whatever, and she's, like, walking towards the door, she's like, that woman is a Democrat, you need to, you should go talk to How her. How did he know her? Uh, he had met her or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Um, he had just talked to her, and... So I ran, sprinting. You, I sprint across this long, immaculate floor. Just imagine me sprinting in the United States in Capitol. A t- in a suit. Uh, in a suit. Uh, and I like catch up to her right before she gets to the door. And I'm like panting and out of breath. And I'm like, stop, wait, my name's Steve. I'm a Democrat. I think I'm the only one here. I really, I need a job. I really need your help. <laughs> <laughs> Something to that effect. I don't know if those are the exact words. She was like, "Who is this and crazy she's like, human?" To what, her credit, what was her face? Like, did she just uh, like, to her credit, she was not totally like down? mortified by this. I would be very afraid. Uh, but she was very nice, and she gave me. Her, she's like, "Well, I'm leaving now, <laughs> but here's my card. Send me an email, and I'll see if I can help you." And that wonderful saint of a woman who will forever be enshrined in the Pierce household. Right up there with our dentist. Right next to God. And our um, dentist. And our our good-looking dentists uh, was Martha McKenna, who is a Democratic ad maker. She has a firm, McKenna Palaja. She knows everyone. Um, She knows everyone. She's been in the campaign game forever. She was the political director at the Senate Democrats campaign arm. Uh, Her partner in her firm was the political director at the House Democrats campaign arm. So together, they know basically everybody. 
Um, anyway, so she was super nice. She gave me her card. I had my own little homemade business card. I cannot believe we homemade and, business that cards. That me and Jesse had like printed up on our little we like, printer. We went to printer. Staples and bought some paper, and yeah. then we printed them. Super up. And nice I, like, paper. Cut them. I like cut them on my little like rotary cutter. Oh my god! I don't even think we had a couch at this point. We we're just like sitting on the floor, the floor of our apartment. Yeah, and I was like, wait, how many more do you need? How many more of these do you need? I need to cut I, like perfectly? I actually went through some like old business cards and stuff as we were setting up our our, our bedside tables today, and I found. I found Martha McKenna's original business card that she gave me, which I kept. Well, the only one I did not throw out. And then a bunch of my old homemade business cards. But just say your name. No company. No, like there's It says just Steve like, Pierce, politics and communications. That's what it says. Oh, you were so ahead. Anyway, so keep going. So, you so anyway, I, I ended up following up with her via email. And this is like testament to how DC works. <laughs> Like, you have to know somebody to do anything, uh, but quote-unquote knowing somebody is a pretty low bar because if you, like, meet somebody once and they see that you're not an axe murderer, they're pretty willing to help you. Like, everyone at some point got help themselves, and they're all everyone's always very willing to be nice and be willing to be helpful if they think a person is smart and not crazy. Um, so she, I emailed her my resume, and she sent my resume to the DSCC, to the DCCC, um, and I got a couple interviews out of it and ultimately got hired at the DCCC as an opposition researcher. Uh, and because I, of her. Because of her. And I thought for the longest time, I didn't. I knew that she set up my interview at the DSCC, which I totally bombed, which is another story for because another day. Because they asked you, remember they asked you, like, name, like, they asked five me to name senators. five senators that, that were up, up for re-election, re-election that year. And you year. couldn't name, like, two. And I, I totally blamed. And then you got in the car after, because normally at these interviews, like, I would drive in with you and I'd, like, sit in the car so that we didn't have to pay for parking. Yeah, because we were super Because we were super worried, worried about, like... Having to like spend any money that we didn't need to, and so like I would just sit in the car, and so we didn't have to pay for parking. And you came out, and you were like, "They asked me, sent I named five senators. I only named two. And then you like started rattling off like another eight. Yeah, I I totally had a brain freeze and but just anyways, melted so she down. She ended up being involved with your job at the DCCC. Right, I thought for a long time because I didn't know that she had sent my resume over there, and I thought I got the job, and I thought for a long time I just gotten it because I had sent in a resume to a job posting. Little do you know that when you send in a resume to a job posting in politics in Washington, D.C., they get like 400 resumes and they don't read any of them because they don't have time. They just wait for someone to recommend somebody to them and they pull that resume out of the stack. Um, But so I thought for a long time after I got the job for at least, you know, several months that I just gotten this job on my own merits and look, I'm so awesome. Uh, (laughs) But then I asked my boss who had hired me, like, why did you decide to hire me? And they said, oh. Martha emailed me and said that I needed to hire you and that you were you were going to be great and so I had to do it. I was like, oh well, Martha McKenna, the saint, the patron saint oh, of my funny. political career. Thank oh, you, funny. who I've who I have never seen since I actually got on a conference you, call. You with worked her. with her, didn't you? Have like, I got on a conference call with her a couple months ago and told her this story, and she was like. She didn't really remember it, but she was nice. Like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. And the thing is, Martha McKenna, not a BYU alum, not a Mormon. There is no reason on earth why, why she should have been at that event, but she was. And Because so she's a, really nice and maybe has like a BYU friend that she was maybe, helping out. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. But she was at that event through divine providence or sheer luck or whatever we want to call it. But and that is the start of my political career. So and if we ever have a child, a girl, are we naming her Martha or are we naming her McKenna? <laughs> <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> but she's uh, she's the patron saint of my political career, and so it's all kind of stemmed from that. Once you get one job in this town and you meet enough people, then you just kind of keep going. God, oh man, six years ago, wow. 
I think I'm going to make an executive decision, uh-huh. and I'm going to. I think we're going to blow through our normally scheduled uh, interlude of happy piano music because I think this is. Yeah, I think we're just going to do it wow. in one 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 segment this time because I think I think there's a natural segue here. I'm talking about the heady days of. Steve Pierce's, uh, you know, burgeoning political career back in 2011 when we were blessed with uh, a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate at that point. Not a Democratic House. We just lost that. Uh, And compare it to where we're at today with unified Republican control with... uh, Is it Republicans are, well, kind of unified Republican control and then just one crazy pants? Crazy pants Donald Trump in the White House... Paul Ryan, the least popular politician in America, and is he running really? the house. Oh yes, by quite a wide margin. I I didn't. I, we typically don't get. Don't, I don't want to get too political on this podcast, but I just couldn't. Like when Steve and I were talking about what to talk about, I just decided that we couldn't not. Because if you come over to dinner at our place, we're probably going to talk about politics at some point. Um, I'm like Steve can't help it but talk about politics. But it's just like there's been so much crazy stuff going on. I'm often, like, at the end of the day, being like, Steve, what do you think? What's going on? Like, I want your opinion. I can't even keep up, And I'm not saying you're, like, the only professional I know that has political knowledge. But, like, it's just convenient to be like, well, Steve, what do you think? What should I be worried about? What should I not be worried about? What's this, this? And I know you can't keep up with a lot of it as well because nobody can. But I feel like other people out there listening might be like, I wonder what Steve's thinking about X, Y, or Z. And then they'll just get my opinion, too, because I'm here. Well, this has been, since the last time we recorded this podcast, it's been quite... The two weeks in uh, and I think it's, Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's been a crazy few weeks. And I actually get a lot, people who don't live here, they're like, so what's it like living around it? And it's crazy, but I don't necessarily want to go into that part of it. But, like, I only really care. Like, I'm not a political person at all, really. I mean, I am becoming more You've of a political. You've become a little bit more of an activist. I am becoming more of an age. activist. I am. But I think having a kid did that to me. But... Because I'm now worried about the future, like about, you know, future generations and what's it going to be like for him growing up. Whereas before I wasn't as worried about that because I was worried about myself. Um, You're saying you were selfish? I was so selfish. But anyway, um, I don't really care about certain things. But when it starts to affect me, I think I'm like a normal American voter. When it starts to affect me, you better believe I'm going to care and then I'm going to be really care. Like I'm going to be really involved. So when the healthcare stuff all started... I don't think a lot of people know this about me, and I was actually going to write a blog post about it, but then I decided the podcast was a better medium to share my story because I don't like to write, and I'm much better just talking. Um, but I actually have a pre-existing condition, and I'm not... You know, you read the stories that different news outlets are posting about, like, the four-time cancer survivors or, you know, all the terrible stories of young kids or, you know, Jimmy Kimmel did his whole thing about his little boy that was recently born with the heart problem. And like, I'm not, I I don't have that story. Like the stories that are almost so sad that it's like they're straight out of a movie and they're like too sad to be true. Like I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty normal pre-existing condition story. So, um, what happened is I was always tired in high school. I was always tired. I remember sitting there in 2004, 2005, writing my scholarship letters to get scholarship money to go to BYU, listening to the postal service, like <laughs> late at night, writing these, writing these was letters. It, was it perhaps the district sleeps alone it tonight? It was the district sleeps alone tonight. Listening to that album, Very writing these letters to different people to give me scholarship money and like being so tired and thinking, oh, I'm just tired because I'm a high schooler. I'm playing soccer. I'm doing too many extracurriculars. I hang out with my friends. I just don't sleep enough. Went through college feeling the same way. I was always tired. And I was like, well, everybody's always tired. 
And then it actually wasn't until like, right, like when you got from your mission, right before we got married is when I started to connect the dots. Like maybe I shouldn't be this tired all the time. So my parents were very good parents. And they said, you know what, before you get married and get kicked off our insurance, because that's what used to happen. You should go to the doctor and we should figure out what's going on with you. Like we really want to be able to help you as much as we can. And by going to the doctor and figuring out what's wrong, that will help. Right? So I went to an internist who was really great, met with him. Um, long story short, I have sleep apnea. Um, it's not super serious. It's more mild, but it is, it's not great, but it's pretty mild. To, How many times an hour do you wake up? I don't remember. Like on a scale of maybe one to 10, I'm probably like a seven. I'm not terrible, but I'm not great. Six, you know, um, I ha- and I have um, obstructive sleep apnea. So, which means my throat closes up when I'm sleeping and I gasp and I stop breathing and I wake up and I just don't sleep well because of this. And so I don't sleep well and I'm always tired. So I was diagnosed with sleep apnea five days before I got married. I met with a sleep specialist. I'm not overweight. I'm not all these things, which people with sleep apnea normally have, you know, and so the sleep specialist. You're not an old, overweight man. I'm not an old, overweight man because that's usually who it is. But the sleep specialist, I met with him. I literally met with him five days before we got married. I was diagnosed. And there was a few remedies, but it was, I was five days from getting married. Like, what was I supposed to do? So I just kind of took that information, not knowing what was going to happen, took that information. I was like, okay, I'll process this once we get married. Well, then I got married and I was kicked off my parents' insurance because I was no longer independent, you know. You were no longer dependent. Dependent on them. And at this point, I now have a pre-existing condition, which means I can't get insurance because this is 2009. Yeah, 2009. And so, you actually, you didn't know this until we went to try and get I, So now I'm, now I'm married and I'm trying to be a responsible adult, you know, 22-year-old responsible adult. I wasn't full-time at BYU anymore, so I couldn't be insured by BYU. And I worked for a company, a small restaurant, who didn't provide benefits for their employees, even though I worked 40 plus hours a week, but I just didn't have to. So uh, I tried to go get insurance on the private market because I'm trying to be a responsible adult that will have insurance. And I get denied. And denied, and denied, and denied. It still makes my blood boil thinking about this. Denied. I couldn't get insurance. So for the first two years of our marriage, I didn't have insurance. My sweet OBGYN, I would pay for an annual appointment with him, and he would give me some free birth control pills. Like, he'd give me free packs. And then we had to pay out of pocket. Like, I remember the first time I sent Steve to buy my Remember? I sent okay. you to buy my birth control. And we'd been married, like, four months. And I sent you, and it was like... It was like $125 a month yep. for these pills. And you texted me after. You're like, was it supposed to be 100 I mean, we're college students at this point. And you were like, is it supposed to be $125 a month for your pills? Like, Because you didn't know. And you were just being a good, helpful husband that was picking up my prescription. I like lost it. Like you had just paid like 400 something dollars for like four months of pills. And I, at this point, I did not know what to do with my life. Like I am tainted thanks to trying to have helpful parents that genuinely were trying to help me. And I'm now screwed. And I'm a normal, healthy human. Like, I'm not, I, like, I'm just You don't a have a congenital heart defect. No, I'm just, I'm just screwed. And so around this time, actually, I was really trying to work on my health. And I started taking a daily multiple vitamin. Because Ooh. you needed, you need, you really needed to work on your health because if you got sick, we were really we were screwed. We were really screwed. So I started taking a multiple vitamin. And I was trying to, like, figure, you know, I was trying to just be the best person I could without insurance. And little did I know that the multiple vitamin I was taking was, would make me sick every morning. So about three months into marriage, I'm puking every morning. I legitimately think I'm pregnant for like a good week and a half. 
terrified to take a birth control test because the first thing I thought was pregnancy it, test. a pregnancy test. Because the first thing I thought is if I'm pregnant, it's like Steve's gonna have to drop out of school. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, we can't pay for a baby. Like, I don't. I was so scared at the idea of being pregnant, which is so sad because I was married to a man that I loved that I knew I wanted to have kids with someday. But at this point, I couldn't afford a child because I didn't have health insurance because. I was diagnosed with a pre-existing condition five days before I got married. So took a pregnancy test, ended up not being pregnant. It was just the fact that I was taking a multiple vitamin that was making me puke and happened to my sister too. So I stopped, so I stopped taking the multiple vitamin. And for the next two years of my life, while we were in Provo, I lived in fear of like, what if I get in a car accident? What if I, what if I'm doing something like, and I get hurt? What if, I mean, I did get in a car accident during that time. Mm-hmm. What if like, what if, heaven forbid my my birth control doesn't work and I get pregnant. Like, what if that happens? I'm freaking screwed. And it was scary. Yeah, it was terrible. Those two years were scary. So at this point, we moved back to DC and this was right around the time that Obamacare was it was being debated. It had just passed. It had when just we passed moved out. and the whole pre existing condition thing was quite yet, the whole pre existing condition thing was dropped, but we had just moved out to D right like two thousand eleven we moved out to DC. Steve got a job at the D C that we just talked about and he got benefits through his job. So that was the first time that I was insured. Yep. And it was a big sigh of relief when It was a huge thing to that have. That was a health big insurance. thing to have health insurance. And you know what? We were living a good life before that. Like, I had a great job. You were in school. Like, we weren't being lazy people that people think you're being when you, if you don't have insurance, you must be lazy. Like, we were being normal individuals. And I was being punished for something I had no control over. Can you tell how I feel about this, Steve? You're really upset. I'm pissed. (laughs) So, when all this healthcare stuff started a few weeks ago, it just makes my blood boil because I'm not that weird random story of the really sad people. I mean, we should feel worse for them, but it's like people can't connect with them because it's like so sad. Like you don't know what it's like to have cancer three times. I don't know what it's like to have cancer three times. So it's really hard to connect to the story of this woman that we hear about in Ohio that's had cancer three times and now she can't get insurance. Like it's really hard to hear about these people who have not had insurance because of pre-existing conditions for 30 years and then they finally get insurance and now it's being taken away from them maybe. And so it's really hard to connect with these stories because they're just so far out there in another land. But like, I have a freaking pre-existing condition. Like, look around. I bet you or a friend or a family member, somebody has a pre-existing condition that you know. Well, I mean, under the American... And I don't know if you know this, but the pre-existing condition thing is now all being... Is up in the air because of the new healthcare bill. I think that's what we were getting at, that's, and I just missed that whole thing. Right, that's why Jesse's talking about this. Yeah, because under the American Healthcare Act, which the Republican House passed uh, two weeks ago now, um, in which you know now the Senate is considering. I've been gonna, sick since then. Literally, what like they're, what they're going to do. Um, there's a whole lot of things, like the the protections that um, that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, as it's popularly known afforded to Americans uh, who have pre-existing conditions, essentially saying insurance companies can't discriminate you against you and charge you more or withhold coverage from you if you have a pre-existing condition, uh, those will now be 
those laws will be changed if this actually does succeed in getting passed and signed into law. Um, yeah, sorry, I missed the just, whole segue about why we're talking about all of this stuff. Right, well, that's fine. Uh, but it's 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 a it's a pretty significant. Like, it's not just like oh, if I have a congen- if you have a congenital heart defect, it's if you're freaking pregnant. If you get pregnant, that, so like, or have a C-section. So thinking about it from like our perspective, like if and this is to be fair, like. This would only really affect us if we were to go onto the open market, although maybe not, um, considering some of the changes they're making to employer-based healthcare as well. Um, but if we were to go, let's say we were to go onto the open market, let's heaven say heaven forbid, say you decided to start your own company. If I started to decide to start my own company, and be an to, ambitious American, and you decided to start, I try to be, become a job creator, as the Republicans would refer to me as. Yeah. Um, and I want to go out and be an entrepreneur and start my own company, but I still need to insure my family, so I would need to buy. Healthcare on the individual market, and uh, I can't get it. Jesse, would, I would not be able to get Jesse health coverage because a she has sleep apnea, and that's considered a pre-existing condition. And b Jesse has had a C-section when she had a baby, and that is considered a pre-existing condition. So in in like right now in my like I know you have a great job and you love your job and we're going to be there for you know a long time, but it's really sad that the idea of me having a second child, like I don't know what like. This plays into it. Remember how we joked about deciding how to have a second kid on the podcast? But like this legitimately plays a factor into that. Right. And it's not even just if I to swear to go out and start my own business. I mean, the it's not even and it's not just the pre existing condition issue. The other thing that's changed that's a big change under the American Health Care Act or the Republican Health Care Plan is that even AKA Trump Care, Trump, AKA Wealth Care. AKA Ryan Care, AKA whatever you want to call it. AKA we'll just stop there. Um, <laughs> But the other thing, other than pre-existing issues, there's a lot of other things, but one other thing that would potentially affect every American in this country is that under Obamacare, there is, it's very highly regulated what health insurance, what health insurance plans must cover. They have to, uh, they have to provide you with free preventative care. They have to cover maternity care. They have to cover all of these different things by law. You, you can't, they, they, can't they, they can't not cover these things. Well, the Republican health care bill does away with those protections. And so our health insurance could decide, you know what? We're not going to cover maternity care, or you're going to pay extra for maternity care. Um, so therefore, they're disincentivizing. You're, you're essentially, which is what's really funny to me, is you're disincentivizing people to have children, which Republicans generally are pro. Wait, aren't they supposed to be the party of values and, and family? Right. Like, pull sh- <laughs> I don't Jess have the really E. I don't have the E next to our podcast, so I'll just stop there. Yeah, well, what you're doing is you're setting up a choice for some folks if they can't get access to affordable care that has maternity coverage. You're essentially setting up the choice a choice between going bankrupt or becoming financially very negatively impacted in order to have a child and carry it to term and deliver it, or if you're if you get pregnant and you're not in a position and you don't want to become financially bankrupt, potentially having an abortion, which Republicans are inherently opposed to. So it's it's setting up a choice that I don't even think that they necessarily a lot of folks have necessarily thought through. That's what you're incentivizing. Yeah, I don't think they've thought through any of this, and I'm trying to follow your advice and just give people the benefit of the doubt. They really don't know what they're doing. I think my big beef with all of this and where my rage comes in is that I feel like at the end of the day, this bill, if any semblance of it becomes law, I my life is going to be dramatically affected by the fact that my husband's job is going to 
be determined by the ability to get healthcare. So like you might not be able to start a business or depending on where you work, you, you a lot of what you would do would be determined about by what kind of care you could get because I can't get care individually. And then I feel like they're also deciding how many kids I have because what if I can't get healthcare? Probably not going to be having another kid. I mean, I, I can't imagine how we would pay for that kid to deliver the child in the hospital and all that. So they're deciding the job my husband has, they're deciding the amount of children I have, and they're deciding what state I live in. If, in fact, something like this does go through, I know in the bill they were going to decide on the amount of coverage, pre-existing conditions would then be determined by each state. So basically the state you live in would make those decisions. So they're, the, they're then deciding where I live and where we live as a family. And you know what? We probably wouldn't be living in Utah because those people there in Utah don't want to give insurance to people with pre-existing conditions. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, so the party, the Republican Party, which I'm not exactly sure, but I think they, their phrase is like the government should, big government should stay out of people's business. Says, yeah, government should not, should stay out of people's lives. Well, they're going to affect my life in the three biggest ways possible because um, they can't get it together. Yeah, it's uh, like, it's, t- what do you say? What, 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 like, what are they? I just can't even. Well, I mean, I think you're right that I think that a lot of even the people who voted for this don't necessarily know what's in it because they voted for it. They didn't, they finished literally the bill less than 24 hours before they voted on it. Nobody had a chance to read it, they didn't score it through the CBO. They voted for it without even knowing how much this would cost. Um, and so nobody really knows, like people just started like journalists and everything, like the text of the bill, they said they would post the text of any bill they voted on in the house of representatives at least three days before they voted on it. This did not happen. They vote, they posted the text of the bill like 10 hours before they actually voted on it. And so it was just like journalists and other and observers and other people, healthcare healthcare experts, like picking through the bill and figuring out what was what was actually in there as they were voting on this and, and passing it on through the house. So so my my last snarky comment before we end this, because I'm sure everybody, if they don't already if they didn't already hate me, they hate me now. Um, my last snarky comment is why did these men freaking vote on this bill? And I say men because that's what you see online. It's all these white guys making all these decisions. But why did you vote? Like I just don't get how they can literally look themselves in the mirror every night and when they're brushing their teeth or whatever else and know that they are ruining people's lives. I mean, I don't think that they got up in the morning and decided, let's go ruin some lives today. I think that they... Are they that oblivious? Are they that dumb? Are they ignorant? Are they... Like, I'm just really... I'm really having a hard time seeing both sides. I think that they have beliefs and they think that a lot of them believe that the government... That government should that government's involved in things. It's less efficient. It's more expensive, and that the private sector can do everything better. Um, but they've been trying to do that for the last like however long health insurance has been in the health how long however long that market's been around for. They've been trying, and they have clearly failed. That's true. I think that I, I think that look there's, at you playing the like. Well, I, I don't like to assign ill intent to no, the other I, side. And I don't want to either. That's why I'm having such a hard time with this. I think that a lot of them, most of them probably, think they're doing the right thing. The people who voted for this think they're doing the right thing, think this will help, think this will make insurance afford, more affordable, at least for the people that they want insurance to be affordable for. Um which I don't think is necessarily everybody. Um, but maybe it is. I'm not sure. I think that they think this will work. Um, I think that they're wrong. I think that their principles are wrong. I think that they're... 
uh, ideas in this case are very wrong. I think that they're not necessarily based in reality, seeing as I think <laughs> that reality has a well a well documented liberal bias. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think that they're wrong, and I think that they think they're doing they're trying to do the best that they can. Um, but I don't think they're I don't think they're doing a very good job of it this time. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna be you'll be here, and I'll be here standing up and trying to push back on them and fight against them, and uh, you know pass something that's better, which in my opinion would be, you know, fixing the Affordable Care Act and making it stronger because it's not a perfect bill. It's not a perfect law. Um, it's not a perfect system, but I think that we can, we can work on it. And if we could actually get people in a room to have adults, like adult conversations, we could decide on some pretty common sense ways that we could fix it and make it better. But you know, Look this is you. not that. This you're is not that. Naive, you're such an optimist. And I'm not, well, I'm not saying that that's actually going to happen because oh, no, it's not going to um, Because right in these, in this day and age, all it is about getting a W in your column, getting a win in your column, no matter at what expense, at how many people are going to be affected affected by your dumb choices. Um, but I'm just having a really hard time seeing both sides, which usually I can, but I think in this situation, and maybe it's because of my own personal experiences, I, I just am having a really hard time seeing that. And the idea of me being able to have children based on these individuals is just like, it's ridiculous. Um, so I think, I mean, there's a lot of, did you, did you see, did you sees on the internet that go both ways, right? So much trolling happening on the internet around all this. There's a lot of trolls but out there. But did you by chance see there was a congressman, I don't know what state he was from, he did a town hall. Good for him for at least doing a town hall. Like that takes courage in this day and age because a lot of the other Republicans just like avoid them. Um, but he did a town hall and somebody asked him a question and he said something about not like, no, there shouldn't be maternity care because my wife's done having kids. No, I didn't see that actually. Oh yeah, there was some congressman that like, he got a town hall question about like, well, why why maternity care not matter like this? And his response was something along the lines of, well, I I don't need it anymore. Like my kids are not having children, so I, I don't we don't need to be talk like. I was like, wow. That's the second best town hall response wow. I've seen in the last couple of weeks. What was the, the other one, one that? What was the, the other best one? one? Was Roe Labrador up in Idaho? He got a. Uh, this woman was really putting the screws to him, and that she would be was. Me. I need to go to would, Idaho. You should go to Idaho and yell at the town halls. Um, I can't yell at the town halls in Virginia because they just agree with me. That's true. All of this your, is why I live here. Yeah, all of your reps here would be would be right alongside you. Um, no, was this woman was putting the screws to Roe Labrador about? Um, about the big cuts to met to Medicaid, eight hundred billion dollars in cuts to Medicaid in this bill, um, just totally, totally guts the program. Uh, so would, sad. Fourteen million people would lose insurance uh, pretty much overnight within the next year um, if they were to pass into law, and that's the old CBO estimates. So I can imagine it's worse now uh, if we were actually get a score for this bill. Um, but she was putting the screws to him and asking, you know, how can you justify, you know, throwing millions of people off health insurance? You're essentially, by doing that, you're essentially, you know, sentencing them to, they're, they're at risk of death if they yeah. don't no get, coverage. If they don't have health insurance and you're taking they're it away They're going to physically their- die or they're going to be financially dead for the rest of their life. <laughs> right. And so his response to that was, well, what this is, what you're saying is, is way overheated. You really need to dial it back. And then the money line was uh, nobody nobody has a, nobody dies when they don't have access to health care, and I'm sure. Do you think in that moment he was like, "Oh crap, what did I just?" I'm say? sure he didn't mean to say that. I'm, I'm sure there but was. It's some, a really good. I don't bite. know what else. It's a terrible soundbite. No, it's for a really him. good soundbite. <laughs> yeah, it would make great ads if he wasn't running in Idaho and was just gonna get. Out. Yeah, I think he's actually running for a governor now. Um, but. Uh, it was. I, I'm sure he didn't intend to say it in that way, but I don't know what he was intending to say, because that is just a horrible, horrible soundbite, a horrible thing to say. 
But I don't know. I I do. I understand your frustration. I'm frustrated. I I'm upset about it. But I do think that we can be upset about it and advocate for what we believe is right without necessarily vilifying those who believe. And I think it's a matter of like channeling your upset frustration in the right way. So for me, you know, it would be calling my congressman or getting involved. And like, luckily the people in this area all agree with me. Literally, they all agree with me. But you know, I, I think to our listeners on, on the, on the internet, you know, if you want more Pierce babies, call your congressman, call your senators. We got to fight this bill because I want to have more kids. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, I think, the, the, t- the key takeaway is that the House of Representatives obviously passed a version of this bill. It's very, very bad. It's going to hurt, I think, or will hurt a lot of people and impact a lot of lives negatively. But and I think more people, not- I think more people have um, pre-existing conditions than you realize. And I think that's what I'm trying, like, that's There's my story to tell is, like, like I'm a normal human. Yeah. We're all normal humans, but, like, I'm not some huge sad story i'm like you want if you met me you wouldn't know i have a pre-existing condition i think there's a lot of us out there and i think if you don't have one someone very close to you probably does and they're going to be affected by this yeah the kaiser family foundation which is a very reputable um cj craig on the ads and yeah no, same same this is the foundation side of it though they're a very reputable independent nonpartisan um healthcare foundation uh, and they do a lot of research on healthcare policy, and they did a, a they did a they had a thing that came out a couple of weeks ago, and they I think that the number was twenty eight percent of Americans have uh, have a pre existing condition. Is that a lot? That's a lot. That's, I just know, didn't know one what. out of every four. That's a lot. That's oh, you know wow. fifty million people at least, maybe more sixty five, and that's people under the under sixty five, not including people, not including seniors. Um, who would obviously be covered by Medicare. Um, so the non-Medicare age population. I think it was 28 million, uh, 28%. I, I, I can't remember if that was Well, I like correct, that number. It was something around there. <laughs> I was high. It was, it was high. I was, I was not surprised, but it was, it was significant. Yeah, so that basically means you or one of your four closest friends, relatives, like one of you probably has a pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty nuts. But it's not done. It's not signed, sealed, and delivered. It's been passed through the House. The Senate has to pass something, and then they have to agree on something, and then Trump has to sign it. Trump will sign whatever they send to his desk. So the House and the Senate have to agree, and we can, all of us, if you want to slow us down, stop this, do something to make sure that this doesn't happen and affect millions and millions of people, take 24 million people's health care coverage away over the next 10 years, uh, we can all do something, and we can stop this, and we can pressure our representatives, pressure our senators, um, and hopefully pressure them into doing the right thing. So like Jesse said, not if you just want Pierce babies, but if you want other people to have babies, if you want uh, people to get the health care they need when they need it, if you want people to not be financially devastated uh, before Obamacare, the number one cause of uh, bankruptcy in this country was actually medical bills um, and medical expenses. Uh, it just it has the potential to financially devastate people if you can't get access to health insurance when you need it. Um, so... If you want to do something, it's not too late. Go out there. Do something. Call Join your representative. Us. Join us. Join the cause. Join the movement. Uh, join the resistance, I think is what they call we call ourselves. We call yeah, yeah. Um, but hopefully that wasn't too much politics for people. I you know. I feel like we can't not sometimes get political. I think the people who don't agree with us will still be our friends because we're very charming. Um, but You're very charming, especially when you get mad. You're I very only cute. Get, I only care about certain things, you know. Um, but 
I feel like it's just everywhere all the time. I can't not share my story and everybody cares what you think. So I feel like we have to talk about it. That's true. Well, if you're, if you're still with us, if you made it through this whole episode, thank you. You're, you're a real trooper. Thanks um, for joining us. Thanks for joining us. And I promise that we'll be back next week. And that we will be back without the without politics. We won't talk about politics next week. I'll make that promise to you. We'll go back to talking about you know the music of 1997 or something like that, and playing "Hey Ya" for you. And Jesse can talk about how much she hates it or whatever, <laughs> which is a horrible opinion. But we'll save that discussion for another time. But anyway, if you had made it through, thank you. If you didn't make it through, well, you're not listening to this. But we hope we you all come back. We hope you all join us next week for a politics-free version of dinner at our place. 